0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Have you been blessed this morning? Yes. My goodness. I, I mean, between Alan's great news after news after news and and Laura's song, I'm ready to go home. I, I'm. Thank you to both of you, ladies. I, incredible. My name is Kirk, and I have some good news and some bad news this morning. I want to start with the good news, because that's what I've chosen to start with this morning. (laughs) The good news is that the things that we're going to be talking about today are not a reaction to some of the things... I have some good news and some bad news. (laughs) So the the good news is what I'm about to share is not a reaction to things that I've experienced here. We're talking about racism today. We're going to complete a, well, we're going to complete a three-part series that began in February, and Pastor Donald gave part two last week. And let me just say, Pastor Donald asked me to do part three. Thanks a lot. pray for me. Pray for him. But in all seriousness, uh, the good news is racism is not a subject. It's not a topic that we've been talking about necessarily out of reaction to things going on at First Alliance Church. And I just want to say all praise be to God for the beautiful work of diversity and unity that God is doing at First Alliance Church. Several years ago, I was asked, encouraged to visit Allegheny, Allegheny Center Alliance Church in Pittsburgh, kind of our big brother church or big sister or whatever relationship churches have. It's an alliance church in the heart of Pittsburgh. And we took our staff there and they laid out the red carpet and they said to us, We are a church in, of, with, and for the city. And they said that wasn't always the case, but over the years, we've become focused on our Jerusalem, which is Pittsburgh, and we now, the demographics, ethnicities, economics, education, our church looks like our city. And I thought, that's my prayer for First Alliance Church. Not that we'd be a white church, not that we'd be a black church, not that we'd be an urban church, not that we'd be a suburban church, that we would be this beautiful mosaic that's represented in one of our core values, and we'll get to that later, but that that this church would be all that God wants it to be, not all that I want it to be or even our elders, but we would be this beautiful place where people can come together from all different walks of life and experience Jesus Christ, That's all we're about here is Jesus Christ. And as Mike read the scripture, I was reminded yet again that God has no favorites, that the bride of Christ, the capital C church is diverse, and we just happen to live in a very diverse city, and this is a place where everybody is welcome. So that's the good news, that God is doing great things at First Alliance Church, and I'm so, so privileged to be a part of it. The bad news is, as you all know, racism is not dead. Pastor Derwin Gray is often asked why he talks so frequently about racism, and he says, because the Bible does. Very simply, because the Bible does. He writes in his book, how to Heal Our Racial Divide, which I will be referencing a few times today. And let me just say the outline just came from his chapter titles. I just looked at the chapter titles and thought, wow, if you know how to heal our racial divide, I need to take some notes because this is, uh, this is a, a, it's a burden that I carry. I don't know how else to say it. I just yearn for unity in the bride of Christ. I yearn for the children of God to be able to come together and to worship together. I, I, I yearn for Dr. King's dream to become a reality, but even more than that, I, I yearn for Jesus' dream to become a reality. And again, I want to say it is becoming a reality here. I don't think we've arrived yet. We've got a long ways to go. And certainly nationwide, we have a long ways to go. But I want to encourage you as well as challenge you in this really important subject. And this isn't the last time we're going to talk about it. Just like. Well, we talked about racism. Aren't we done, Pastor? Well, we talked about sin too. We're not done. So when you all are done with sin, we'll stop talking about it. When we all get our self-control together, when everyone's words are perfect, we won't talk about James anymore. When, when all of our attitudes are perfect, we won't have to go through all those. But you know what I'm saying. We are all on the journey. And let me say, I am the last person that has this racism thing figured out, that has sin figured out, that has love figured out, that has generosity figured out. But I'm seeking to follow Jesus in this. And this matters so much to me because this matters so much to Jesus. Jesus said it himself. He said, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined in a house divided against itself will fall. I believe that the reason that the church in the United States is in steep decline, is is anemic, is weak, is because the enemy has used all sorts of things to divide us and separate us. He's used denominations, he's used politics, he's used racial ethnicities to divide us. And as long as we're divided, we're never going to have the strength and power we need to be all that God wants us to be. And the enemy knows this. Any kingdom divided cannot stand. We see this virtually every day in our political system, in social media. Everyone's trying to cancel one another. And as long as we're canceling one another, we can't be together. Jesus had one prayer for us in John 17 for those who will believe, and it was for unity that we would all come together, that we would be unified, not in our politics not in our baseball teams, not in our athletic competitions. We'd be unified at the cross of Jesus Christ. Our text, you heard it right a moment ago. You are all children of God. How many of you does that include? Raise your hand if that includes you. All of you online, that's you. We are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. To be very technical, Paul's speaking to the church in Galatia, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism. I don't know why we're losing the slides today. It's the weirdest thing. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. You are all what? One in Christ Jesus. And now that you all belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. He was speaking to Jews and Gentiles, which was a division back in the day even bigger than the black and white divide. And let me just say, I'm using black to describe African Americans, if you prefer African Americans, I'm just short on time, I'm going to say black. And I'm going to say white Caucasian European Americans, lighter hue, whatever language, if you don't like my terms, send me nasty email. Don't send me nasty emails. Extend grace. And some of you are like, I'm not black and white. I'm not white either, by the way. It's a peach color. This is white. Do you see the difference? Uh, Some of you are from Hispanic backgrounds, Asians. We're all one. We're all one in Christ. And that's the message. You are his heirs and God's promise. Back in Genesis. Genesis. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry around the the ground. The point here is God created you and me in his image. I don't know where some of this stuff came from over over the years, African-Americans being three-fifths human, No, we were all created in God's image with dignity, value, and worth, and which is why I'm going to say it again. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul said this to the church in Colossae. If you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no Favorites. Peter echoes this. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Romans 2 says God does not show favoritism. Deuteronomy, go all the way back to the Pentateuch. The Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. I'm not sure how you could bribe God in the first place, but never mind that. The point is, we are all one. We're all one. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we all have the opportunity to trust Christ, to follow Jesus, to have our sins past, present, and future forgiven, to be washed white as snow, and to know the one who created us and the one in whose image we were created. I could go on and on and on with examples. I could talk all day because Scripture, from beginning to end, talks about the fact that there is no favorites. We're all created in God's image. And the fact that racism exists, in some respects, is not surprising to me because, well, the world is always going to divide and conquer. The world is always going to be filled with sin. The world is always going to do those things that look like our enemy. But the thing that's been most troubling, most heartbreaking, is the church's complicit involvement in racism historically. In fact, the only reason there's black churches is because of racism when African Americans weren't welcome to worship with people of a lighter hue. I can't imagine anything more satanic than playing favorites based upon how much color you have on your skin but this is what the enemy does. So if it's not clear, if it hasn't been articulated, I will just say very simply, racism in all of its shapes and forms is a sin. It's of Satan, and it has no place here or in any church or any place on this planet, and yet it has existed for thousands of years. It takes different shapes, different forms. We're just talking about evil sin. Pew Research Center data shows a full three quarters of black Americans say opposing racism is essential to their faith or sense of morality. And my guess is, and my hope is, that you all recognize the evil of racism. The question is, what do we do about it? Like so many things in our world, it's easy to feel helpless and powerless. Well, what can I do? These problems are so vast. What can I possibly do? And I'm really, really glad that Darwin Gray wrote this book because I want to know how to heal our racial divide. So, here's some simple steps ways that you can get involved. If you see this the way I do, is, is something that needs to change in our, in our city, in our nation, in our world. First one. Trust the supremacy of Christ. Trust the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is supreme. We've heard a lot about white supremacy in the news. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, we must never substitute a doctrine of black supremacy for white supremacy. For the doctrine of black supremacy is as dangerous as white supremacy. God is not interested merely in the freedom of black men and brown men, and yellow men, but God is interested in the freedom of the whole human race, the creation of a society where all men will live together as brothers. King Jesus is supreme. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And by the way, I don't think he was white. Satan loves to tempt each of us into pride, into seeing ourselves somehow better than another, whether it's our skin color, our education, our wealth, our appearance, our zip code, our abilities. Philippians says this so clearly. I, I love to share this passage at, at, at weddings. It's great for bride and groom. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Paul's not saying be a doormat. He's not saying let people walk all over you. He's saying it's not all about you. The number one command of Christians is to Love. And that means looking out for the best interests of other people. It's so simple. It's not easy, but it's so simple. And that means loving every masterpiece that you see on the street, every masterpiece that you encounter at the grocery store, every masterpiece in our city, no matter what they look like, smell like, talk like, no matter their education, their wealth, their background. One of the most challenging books in recent memory for me is The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby. The subtitle is The Truth About the American Church's Complicity in Racism. It's a thoroughly researched book. There are so many footnotes in this book. And it made me just want to weep when I began to read about the past and the history, not of the world's behavior, but of the church's behavior. And might I add, not just of the southern church's behavior, May we be part of the solution instead of the problem. Secondly, engage in difficult conversations. You've probably heard me say this because it's one of my favorite quotes of the last 10 years. Once you've heard someone's story, they can never be your enemy. I really want to hear Putin's story. Once you've heard someone's story, they can never be your enemy. Uh, several months ago, well, actually about a year and a half ago, uh, Bishop Colt down the street at First Church of God, he invited myself and several other pastors, both of the darker hue and the lighter hue, to come together and read Jamar Tisby's book that I just mentioned, The Color of Compromise. And so for the last 18 months, there's been a group of us gathering, just discussing this book and discussing issues around this subject. About half of us are black, about half of us are white. And most of the people at the table, I'd say about half of the, the, the people at the table, I did not know 18 months ago. But in our times together, in our conversations together, I can tell you that they have become my brothers and sisters. I love them, I trust them, and we're seeking ways that we can collaborate together for the sake of the kingdom of God, because that's why we're here on planet Earth. But sometimes the conversations are difficult. Sometimes we're not sure even what to ask or how to ask. And this whole conversation, there's a lot of landmines. And especially in this world where people are so quick to cancel, we've decided to extend a lot of grace to one another because we need a lot of grace for one another. I encourage all of you, We need to build relationships. Now, this is just across the board. We need deeper relationships. We need relationships within First Alliance. We need deeper relationships in our community. This past week, we had our sports and arts camp. Uh, Would you just stand if you were participating in sports and arts camp? Just stand up. Come on. If you did anything, if you made some meals, if you delivered some flyers... I think this was probably my favorite year of sports and arts camp. Any, anyone else feel this way? Like, I heard a number of people say, well, this is the best year ever at sports and arts camp. And let me tell you why I think this was such a great year. It, it wasn't the, the biggest attendance, the biggest quantity of kids we've ever had, but I think because of that, it allowed us to have a quality experience with the students. And and Miss Sue kept saying all, all year long in preparation, we want to develop relationships. We don't want to just throw a bunch of words and tracks at these kids and say, have a nice life, see you next year. We want to develop deep, meaningful relationships with people because life is all about relationships. God is all about relationships. And sometimes those relationships get messy, they get uncomfortable, and we need to engage in difficult conversations. By the way, my favorite way to engage in difficult conversations is to use a lot of question marks. Use a lot of question marks. Just ask questions. Rather than making attacks, st- statements and declarations, just ask lots of questions. I, I came up with a few that I was, I was thinking of the other day on this subject uh, Let me find them for you. What do you mean by racism? Do I call you black or African-American? What about our Hispanic brothers and sisters and Asians? Should we say Black Lives Matter when the organization was started with non-biblical principles? Or do you mean the message of the slogan, not the organization? Am I really white or some shade of peach? Why can blacks use the N-word but no one else can? Is that word ever appropriate? Why do so many rappers cuss in their songs? Should I feel bad for being born in the majority culture? What can I do to make this world a better place? Now, I can't ask these questions of a lot of people on the streets. But as I begin to have genuine friendships and relationships with my brothers and sisters, we can begin some dialogue. Help me understand. Help me learn. You know, my favorite part of these meetings down the street with Bishop Culp and, and other pastors is I just love to listen to the stories, the experiences of African Americans in our, in our community. Because I got a secret to tell you guys this morning. I've never been an African-American. And I have a prediction to make. I don't think I'm ever going to be an African-American. It's disappointing, isn't it? But as I listen to stories, I begin to have empathy. I begin to have understanding. Oh, that's why dot, dot, dot. Let me make sure I didn't communicate something. I didn't mean to communicate. I don't consider African Americans my enemies. So when I say when you listen to someone's story, they can never be your enemy. That was not my point. My point is, when you listen to stories, you begin to understand. You begin to to have love and compassion and empathy for other human beings. And again, this isn't just true about black and white or brown or whatever color. This is just about humanity. This past week at sports and arts camp, I saw some. I had a. I had a great team. Catherine and I had a. Wasn't it just a? We had a wonderful team of people. Yeah, Cat- we were mellow yellow. Uh, Catherine was a leader, and and I was I was helping her out. But just there were. I mean, let's face it. They're kids, and sometimes it's like, mm. okay, wait, shh. Story. Maybe they need some attention. Maybe they need some love. Maybe there's some stuff going on at home. Maybe as we begin to get to know them and understand them and hear their stories. Life is all about relationships and we've got to be engaging in relationships. Okay, don't worry. The next 17 points are not going to be as long as this one. Unless you want them to be. Number three, collectively engage in mourning injustice. Most Christians I know like happy songs. We like happy, happy, happy. Come to church to be happy, and I'm all about happy. I love happy, actually. Some people are like all into the blues, and I mean, blues are okay, but I like happy. I'm a very optimistic person, but family, we need to stop sometimes and pause, and we need to mourn. We need to lament. We need to recognize that there's stuff that's happened, whether it's recent stuff or ancient stuff. I believe it's a third of the psalms are psalms of lament. They're just cries out to God, saying, God, why, why, why? Help me. Even some of the songs that we sing around here are crying out to God. God, I need you. Lord, I need you. We collectively come together and say the things that our forefathers and mothers did were not right. And tragically, future generations will probably say similar things about us. We may not be aware of what those things are. But to collectively mourn injustice can be a powerful thing. Next thing is to display gospel character. Moments ago, I used the word grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You can't deserve it. You don't don't deserve it. You can't earn it. It's just unmerited favor. I love to see Christians act like Jesus. And it's like the, the... I feel like that's the dumbest statement I could possibly make. And yet, I don't know, we'll just blame it on COVID, but for the last few years, it just seems like people have gone nuts. And I'm talking Christians, or so-called Christians, that act nothing like Jesus. We need to display gospel character. If you want to get out the old bracelets, go ahead. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus engage in this conversation? How would he treat this person? This is where we need to look at our world and our culture. And honestly, we just need to do the exact opposite. We don't hate. We don't cancel. We don't hold a grudge. We don't gossip or tell inappropriate jokes or prejudge other people. We look at people as masterpieces in need of restoration. And we see one every day in the mirror. Okay, next one. This one, this one was new to me. Affirm the Reconciler's Creed. but a Reconciler's Creed? Pastor, what is the Reconciler's Creed? I didn't know what it was because Derwin Gray wrote it. He created it. When you write a book, I guess you can do such things. There's five parts. I'm just going to tell you them really quickly. The first one, part A, is worship. The next one, I think you all know what worship is. We re- I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you his definition. We relentlessly worship God by loving our brothers and sisters of different ethnicities in Christ. According to Jesus, loving God and loving others are the greatest commandments, and they go together. Isn't that beautiful? He's a good writer. By the way, shameless plug, he went to Northern Seminary and got his doctorate at the same time I got my doctorate. We were in different cohorts. Um, But he's a pastor down in uh, the Charlotte area, former NFL football player, came to Christ later in life, and just got a great story, great testimony. Uh, Number two, justification. That's always a big word, Justification. It's related to justice. It's related to God's justice and and the work that he does. We will will relentlessly see our brothers and sisters of other ethnicities as the righteousness of God. We are all covered in the same justifying blood. You know we are all related by blood, the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Number three, holiness. I, I, I like this statement. We will relentlessly ask God the Holy Spirit to purge us of any prejudices that we have in our hearts. Honest self-examination is vital to healing and maturity. Before you tell me, I'm not prejudiced, I'm not racist, that's not me, it's not me, I just want you to take a little pause. Psalm 139, search me and know my heart, oh God. See if there is any wayward way within me. I bet there's not one person in this room or online that's never had a thought of prejudice. It's just what we do as humans. We prejudge people because we only have so much data, so much information. Which is why seeing them as masterpieces, seeing them as God sees them, is a huge countercultural step toward loving and being like Christ. Number four. Unity, we will relentlessly pursue and live in the unity Jesus secured through the bloody cross. We do not work for unity, we live from unity in Christ. And fifth, guard, we will relentlessly guard our unity in Christ. Our unity in Christ is a gift and treasure that must be guarded. Demonic powers and those under the power of the evil one wanna divide God's people Our unity displays the beauty of our risen Redeemer. Our disunity is a poor witness. Listen to these beautiful words from Paul. I love this. All this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. We say restoring God's masterpieces. Paul talks about reconciling people to God and to one another. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak to Christ, for Christ, when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Oh, one more thing I want to add to this. I've heard people say they're colorblind. God doesn't want you to be colorblind. Derwin Gray uses the term "color blessed." but we need to see color. We need to celebrate color. We need to appreciate the way that God has made us different, whether it's black and white or short or tall, rich or poor. God's doing such a neat thing here at this church. Diversity, Werner Meyer says, is inviting people to the party. Inclusion is asking them to dance. And I want to ask you to dance. I want to challenge you this week, just one simple thing this week. I'd like you to reach out to another person, preferably someone different than you. But even if it's your identical twin, that counts. But let's do some relationships. Grab coffee this week. Invite someone out to lunch or to your home. We're going we're gonna to be doing something in, in a few weeks. Uh, do we have a date for that? Not confirmed. Okay. We're, we're gonna, soon, we're going to be introducing something called surprise suppers. And, and very simply, well, it is what it is. If you're interested in hosting a surprise supper, we'll bring some people to your house. And if you want to go to someone's house, we're going to set that up for you too. So you're going to hear more about it in the future, but what what you're going to do is you're just going to tell us either whether you want to host a supper or attend a supper, and we're going to match you up. We're going to tell you where to go, and you're just going to meet some new people. We're going to get to know each other. And I have to be honest, I look out, there's a whole bunch of you I don't know. I mean, I knew everybody two years ago. But God's just been bringing us so many new people the last couple of years. I'm thrilled, and I want to get to know you. Now, If you don't want to get to know me, then don't show up. But I want to get to know you, and I think we have a great opportunity to get to know one another. And This is, this is a racial thing. It's also just a human thing. And by the way, you know there's only one race. The human race. All right, so I'd like to to close my message with some verbiage that is called the Declaration of Reconciliation. And I realize it's hard to declare something that you've never read. So this is a faith-filled risk. But I'd like you to stand. And if you feel led, repeat this with me. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, blessed King of the universe, in your eternal Son, Messiah Jesus, the King of Kings, the one who is grace upon grace, and who created a new race, made of all of the human race, through his life, death, and resurrection, in his name, by the Holy Spirit's power, We offer ourselves as living sacrifices, dwelling places of God. King Jesus, we affirm that you purchased a richly diverse people for your Father, a people declared righteous by your blood, people who are one, yet many. Your blood binds us to you and to each other as a beautiful mosaic. We worship you by loving one another, We are the family of the redeemed. We belong to the King. We pledge our allegiance to King Jesus, the Lamb of God who sits on the throne. May we live from and guard the unity Jesus secured on the cross. As we grow in holiness, Spirit, empower us to reflect Jesus more and more. May the world see we love Jesus by the way we love each other. May we treasure our brothers and sisters more than we treasure economic interests, political affiliations, fears, or cultural customs. In your name, King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I pray that that is true of First Alliance Church. Because I believe that's the heart of our Creator God that's the heart of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He made us. He created us. He loves us. And just like me and all you parents, He loves it when His kids get along. Amen.